When you're committed to following the Lord by faith, you'll face new challenges along the way. But you know what? Those challenges also bring new opportunities and perhaps new people to whom you can minister. And through it all, you see the grace of God at work. There's an account in Acts 16 that illustrates all of this, and Stephen Davy takes you there today. This is the Wisdom Journey. Stephen called this lesson the first church in Europe. Well, today the Apostle Paul is about to set out on his second missionary journey. We're in the 16th chapter of Acts. He's joined by some new ministry partners. He's chosen Silas, who's called a leader among the brethren back in Acts chapter 15 and verse 22. He's also with a young man named Timothy. Uh, Timothy was added when they went again through Lystra. Now, in, in chapter 16 and verse 1, we're told that Timothy is the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, we're going to learn later on in the New Testament that Timothy was raised by a godly mother and grandmother. Uh, Eunice, along with the help of her mother, Lois, they were both committed to teaching Timothy the Word of God. Beloved, I consider some of the greatest people of faith to be godly women who are married to unbelieving husbands. And in a very real sense, I've always thought that they were spiritual widows. And I'm sure their hearts ache. Perhaps I'm speaking to someone today just like this. Your heart is, is, is hurting to see your husband walk with God. Well, you have these two courageous women back here raising their son and grandson to know the Word of God. We have no record that Timothy's father ever came to faith in Christ. But Timothy, well, he's eventually going to become the pastor of the church there in Ephesus. And I I think we ought to learn from this, beloved, that the absence of a godly father does not forfeit the potential of godly children. Timothy's evidence that an unbelieving husband cannot overshadow the testimony of a godly mother, a godly grandmother who followed the Lord. Now we read here in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Well, now, though his mother was Jewish, Timothy's father was a Gentile, and Timothy had not been circumcised. Now, Paul's action here might seem strange in light of the controversy we just covered back in Acts chapter 15. But keep in mind that this has nothing to do with Timothy's salvation. It's all about Timothy's future testimony and ministry among the Jewish people. This is going to allow Timothy access to speak in the synagogues whenever the opportunity arises. Well, now, as Paul and Silas and Timothy travel westward through Asia, verse 6 tells us that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in that province. Then when they attempt to go into the province of Bithynia, a little further north, verse 7 tells us the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. 
Now, we're not told what this this looked like for Paul, but God in his sovereignty is clearly directing his servants. Maybe you've experienced in your life some kind of closed door of ministry, and, well, God opened another door instead. Well, this is happening to Paul here and this team. Paul wants to go north, and then he wants to go east. God wants him to go west into what we today call the continent of Europe. Well, here in verse 9, God clarifies his direction to Paul. He gives him a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, Macedonia was a Roman province in what today is called northern Greece. The missionaries clearly understood this is God's direction. He's closing one door, but he's opening another door of ministry. Now, you'll notice perhaps here in verse 10, that the pronouns have changed to we and us. And this indicates that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, has now joined this missionary team. He's already been a trusted friend. He's a medical doctor, by the way, which is going to be helpful, especially to the Apostle Paul. Now, here in verse 12, the group arrives in Philippi. We're told it's a leading city of Macedonia. Now, this is a Gentile Roman town, and there are few Jewish people living here. In fact, there isn't even a synagogue, which would have been required by Jewish customs if there were at least 10 Jewish families living in the town. Instead, Paul and his team discover a small group of women down there at the riverside having a prayer meeting on the Sabbath. One of the women is Lydia. She's called here in verse 14, a worshiper of of God. So she's a Gentile woman who's following the God of the Old Testament. Well, Paul goes down there and he delivers a a New Testament update to these women. And verse 14 says of Lydia, the Lord opened her heart. That means she believed the gospel message. So the very first convert of Christ in Europe is a woman, a successful businesswoman. And according to this verse, we're told here that she was a seller of purple goods. Now, purple garments could cost as much as three years' salary for the average laborer in these days. Three years. That's why purple was reserved normally for royalty, very wealthy citizens. And Lydia herself would have become wealthy through her business. In fact, she has a house that's going to be large enough to lodge this missionary team as well as provide for all their needs. Well, now we're introduced to another convert to Christianity. She's not a successful businesswoman. Verse 16 tells us that she was a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Well, she's clearly demonically empowered, and her owners are using her uh, to make a fortune for themselves. Verse 17 tells us that, that she, she starts trailing along beside the missionary team, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Imagine that. Well, Paul doesn't exactly want somebody like her running his advertising campaign. So he responds here in verse 18, Paul turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
this would imply that she becomes a believer. Well, she loses uh, the demon. Her her owners lose their business, and, and they're infuriated. They drag Paul and Silas downtown and accuse them of disturbing the peace and introducing Jewish customs into the city, and the magistrates respond here by having Paul and Silas beaten and then imprisoned. But here in verse 25, we're told, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This leads me to wonder, how do you sing hymns to God in prison? Well, only if you know that God is in control of your life. Now, verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Well, the jailer awakes. He sees the prison doors open. He knows he'll be executed for allowing prisoners to escape. Well, he decides to go ahead and kill himself instead and get it over with. Paul calls out here, telling him not to harm himself because all the prisoners are still there. I got to tell you, I think the greater miracle isn't the earthquake. I think the greater miracle is that all the prisoners are staying in their cells. The jailer can't believe it, but he immediately understands this is all according to the power of God. Paul and Silas have been preaching. He's been listening. They've been singing. He's been listening. So he asks them here in verse 30, what must I do to be saved? You know what he's asking? What do I have to do to get what you have? Paul, how can I get this joy? Silas, how can I have this kind of of security? in the midst of suffering. How can I come to know your all-powerful God? Well, the answer is simple. Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I love this answer. Uh, They didn't say to him, you know, join a church, turn over a new leaf, start doing some good deeds, give us some money for our missionary journey. Just, no, just believe in Jesus. He's already done everything for you that you need. Well, the jailer believes, and so does his entire household, by the way, when they heard the gospel. And their faith is demonstrated by caring for these two men uh, who were beaten by being baptized uh, with water. Verse 34 says it so well. He rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. They all believed the gospel they were all baptized. Well, after learning that Paul is a Roman citizen, all the city leaders, well, they come out there and they apologize, and then they ask him to leave town. After encouraging the new believers, they do leave Philippi, and they go on to their next assignment. And with that, you have the first church in Europe established. I want you to take another look at the charter members. Who do you have here? A wealthy Gentile businesswoman, a Roman jailer and his entire family, and a formerly demon-possessed slave girl. I got to tell you, what a great way to start a church. And by the way, if you're sailing along with me right now and you're not a believer yet, don't wait for an earthquake. Don't wait for some miracle. Listen to this invitation from God. What do you have to do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall 
be saved. Well, until we set sail again, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Stephen called this lesson the first church in Europe. He'll continue through Acts and the rest of the Bible as this wisdom journey continues in the days ahead. Be sure and sign up for a group we call Friends of Wisdom. It's free, and you'll begin receiving resources to help you grow in your faith and walk wisely through life. Visit wisdomonline.org forward slash friends to sign up today. Join us next time to continue the wisdom journey.